time now for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Lamar. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. Happy Easter. I'm Carl Amari. And this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Joan Crawford stars in Stars Over Hollywood from 1951. Then, Jack Benny and Mary Livingston stroll down the Easter parade on the Jack Benny Easter program from 1955. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Oh, these Easter eggs are great. Thanks for coloring these for me. Well, I worked on them all week, so I thought yeah. somebody should enjoy them. You know, here's one tip, though. Next time... Hard boil them first oh. before you color them, okay, you're Lisa? To? I dropped a couple of them. Look at oh. the did to my shoes. Yeah, well, you're kind of clutching. Well, you're not the best cook, but you know what? Cooking isn't everything, Lisa. No, I mean, I'm... you know, you're great at other things. You're like a great what? co-host. Oh, thanks. To I was show. kind of trying to draw you know, that out of you. You, uh, I mean, cooking is just not your forte. Yeah, although you don't live with me, so you wouldn't know my no, day-to-day cooking. No, I don't. But uh, I've heard, I've You've heard, heard stories. <laughs> You know, gets around. It's on the news. Your, your culinary cuisine technique, not the greatest. Yeah, well, you can't be good at everything. No, you can't. I'm okay with that. Uh, all right, well, stick around because you know what? Joan Crawford stars in Stars Over Hollywood now. Not bad, right? Stars and Stars. We bring in the big stars for this radio show. Yes, we do. Not just you. You're not the I only know, star on I, this show. I know. Joan Crawford plays herself in this episode of Stars Over Hollywood from... October 6th, 1953. It's called I Knew This Woman, part one now of Stars Over Hollywood. This is Joan Crawford welcoming you to Stars Over Hollywood, presented by Carnation Evaporated Milk. And here is your host for Carnation, Art Ballinger. Welcome to Hollywood, home and workshop of the world's most glamorous people. We're happy to say that beginning today and each week from now on, Stars Over Hollywood will be brought to you by Carnation, the world's favorite brand of evaporated milk. And today we present transcribed the romantic drama, I Knew This Woman, starring Hollywood's favorite actress, Joan Crawford. Hello, Art. I'm delighted to make another appearance on Stars Over Hollywood, and especially in this particular story. How's that, Miss Crawford? Well, it's one of the few instances where I've played myself. I chose today's story because, in my opinion, it's not only an entertaining one, but because it's also a story of helpfulness. And another thing, the story of Susan Crane proves that any challenge can be an opportunity as well. And now, Act One of I Knew This Woman, starring Joan Crawford. Curtain going up. Oh, she was quite a person, Susan Crane. A little quieter now than she used to be. A woman now. I have to think hard to remember the girl who was always laughing. Always having fun no matter what she did. And yet, that was the Susan Crane of only a year ago when I first told her about Bob Willick. So, I've got to figure out some excuse that won't hurt Elsa's feelings. But I'm not going to her party. I simply can't live through another one of those blind dates her husband gets me. Or, maybe I'm too hard to impress. 
Am I stuffy, Joan? No, stop it, of course Well, not. something's wrong. I met half the single men in town and, and no spark. And I'm not husband hunting. Wait a minute. Bob Willett. He's a darling, and we've been friends for ages. I don't know why I didn't think of him before, but... Well, you and Bob would hit it off perfectly. You can find your own romance. But I think you two could have a very swell friendship that would mean a lot to both of you. Friendship between a man and a woman? <laughs> I never heard of Well, it. and it's about time you did, because it happens to be one of the nicest experiences in life. Oh, I was only kidding. I'd like to meet a man who'd be a real pal. Only, how can you be so sure Bob Willett and I'd click? Because I've known the two of you for a long time, and because I happen to love you both. Oh, you interest me muchly. When am I going to meet him? I didn't give a party for them. It's too hard to get acquainted with a mob of people around. Instead, a few days later, I invited them to a family dinner. I knew if either Susan or Bob put up a stone wall of formality, my four youngsters would take care of it in a hurry, which they did, and in a big way. By the time dinner was over and the children were in bed, the stone walls were only a memory, and Susan and Bob were friends. <laughs> oh, those kids of yours are really something, Joe. <laughs> oh, kids are great. No axes to grind, no apples to polish, nothing to be afraid of or to worry about. They meet you, they like you, they say so. <laughs> the catch is that if they don't like you, they're liable to say it too. Ah, well, don't stifle it, Joan. A kid's instinct is nothing to monkey with. I wonder if that's why I never feel close to anyone children don't like. And I don't trust people who don't understand children either. At least I don't if I know it. But I suppose there are lots of people who are very careful to keep that hidden so you never find it out. I didn't know it, but a time was coming when I would remember those words of Susan's. It was midnight when Susan and Bob left, and I knew the usual weeks of getting acquainted had all been bridged in that one evening. I saw them often after that, and each time it seemed to me Susan was prettier than the time before. <laughs> Once I laughingly asked her if it was love. Oh, not the way you mean, Joan. It's just that I'm having so much fun. It's exactly like you said it would be. Bob and I are pals, Joan. Just... Wonderful, wonderful pals. But as time went on, I knew there was something wrong with the picture. Bob's attitude towards Susan changed. The happy, easy friendliness was gone. He was quiet around her. And when they were together, his eyes would follow every move she made. I don't think Bob would have talked to me about it. And I certainly wouldn't have questioned him under ordinary conditions, but everything led up to it so naturally that night at the country club dance. It was a wonderful party, and Susan looked beautiful. She had more partners than a debutante, but each time Bob watched her dance away, his, his frown got deeper. I met him later out on the terrace. Oh, Bob, it's a perfect evening. Music, a moon, everything beautiful. Stop acting like it's a swell night for a murder. Don't give me any ideas. Bob, what's the matter? Joan, you saw Steve Thompson tonight, didn't you? You mean the tall, dark man with the uh, Harrington party? Yeah, that's the guy. Susan met him a couple of weeks ago, and she's carrying a torch big enough to light up the town. She's... Oh, no. No, I don't believe it, Bob. Well, Susan would have talked to me about him, and, and she hasn't even mentioned his name. She's in love with a guy, Joan, I'm telling you. And he's wrong for Susan. Now, don't get the idea that this is jealousy talking. Either I love her enough to want her happiness more than I want my own. But she's not going to have it with Steve Thompson. Anyway, thanks for listening, beautiful. Let's go in and dance. I put in some miserable hours that night, worrying about Bob's heartbreak and Susan's future. I wanted so much to help them. 
but I couldn't for the life of me think of a single thing to do. The next morning, Susan called, asking if she could bring Steve Thompson over to dinner. You told me you were going to let me find my own romance, Joan. Well, I found it when I met Steve. You'll be crazy about him. I know you will. That night was the first time I saw Susan and Steve together, and all I could think of was they're in love, really in love. Bob was right. It it made me feel a little sick for Bob. But as the evening went along, I, I couldn't believe he was right in the things he'd said about Steve. He was wonderful company, and he had a lot of charm. I enjoyed him, and I liked him. And when Susan and Steve got up to go, well, I was sorry their visit was over. I hope you'll let me come again, Joan. I promise I'll act better next time. <laughs> he was scared stiff about meeting you, Joan. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Let's clear that up. It's just that I knew you and Susan were close friends, and that your opinion means a lot to her. She's been taking you for a nice long ride, Steve. Susan asks my opinion, sure, but then she does exactly as she pleases. Only when I disagree with there, you. There, you see? See what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I'd just known that in advance, I could have been my own obnoxious self. Well, that's something to look forward to the next time. And I do hope it's soon. If I have my way, it'll be sooner than you expect. And as often as Susan will bring me. In the next few months, I saw a lot of Susan and Steve. And at first, it was always fun being with them. But as Steve became more relaxed, more sure of himself, I saw flashes of a temperament that was very strange. Even a little frightening. All of a sudden, Steve just didn't add up. That charming exterior didn't match his violent opinions, his boredom with everything domestic, the way he laughed at honest sentiment. Then one Saturday afternoon, Susan came to see me, but alone. And that was when all the pieces of the strange, frightening puzzle began to fall into place. When Susan came to my house that day, she was like a quiet ghost of the girl I knew. She wasn't at ease, so of course I wasn't either. We talked awkwardly for a few minutes, and then, with a tense smile, Susan said, It's been nearly a month since I even phoned you. I was a little afraid about coming over today. Oh, that's crazy, Susan. Friends don't have to see each other every minute to stay friends. I've been busy, and I took it for granted you were, too. I was home, trying to figure something out. It's it's about Steve. I'm so confused, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm out of my mind. Susan, don't. No quarrel on earth could be that bad. We didn't quarrel. It's not that simple. Steve and I are engaged, Joan. (laughs) And you're acting like the end of the world has come. Because I'm afraid. There's something I haven't told you about, Steve. He was married before, and he has a seven-year-old son. Billy lives with his mother in a small suburban district way out. You mean Steve just told you about them? No, no, I've known from the start. At least he told me they existed. But he didn't talk about his first wife much till after we fell in love. And now, everything I say, every plan I suggest for our future, Steve connects somehow with his life with Marion. Susan, you're going to have some miserable times if you resent a woman Steve loved before he knew you. But I don't resent her, Joan. It's it's Steve's attitude about her that has me so upset. He hates Marion. He hates? Yes. And whenever I try to discuss our future, he says I sound just like her. Even when I talked about us getting a little house in the suburbs, he was furious. He said the reason his marriage had broken up was that Marion insisted on dragging him out to the sticks to live. Well, that hardly seems like cause for a divorce. It doesn't make much sense. That's what worries me. The way Steve's always saying crazy things like that. And the way he said on on never having a family. 
But I thought you said he has a son. He has. His name's Billy. I wonder about that, too. Joan, could a man dislike his own little boy? Oh, that's a shocking question, Susan. I know. But beyond telling me Billy exists, Steve has never talked about him. Does that seem strange to you? Yes, it does. It seems very strange. Well, Joan, I've got to find out what it's all about before I can marry Steve. I want you to drive out to Marianne's house with me. You're not going to talk to her. No, no, I... I just want to see if it's an ugly shack on a corny street, as Steve says it is. Maybe I can see Billy. Maybe he'll be out in the yard playing. Maybe it'll be a fool's errand, too. I know. I've got to go. Will you go with me, John? Before I answer that, I, uh... I want to ask you something, Susan. What if you find out that Steve has lied to you? Are you prepared for that? Yes. Then I'd know. I wouldn't be guessing. But what good would it do? Look, what I'm trying to find out, Susan, is whether you're going out of a need to set your life straight or, or out of curiosity and jealousy. Oh, it's not out of curiosity, Joan. And I'm, I'm not jealous of Marion. Okay. That's good enough for me. I'll go with you whenever you want. Tomorrow, then. I'll be by right after lunch tomorrow and pick you up. Oh, thank you, Joan. Thank you. We talked very little on the drive to Marion Thompson's house the next day. We were both too worried, too afraid about how it might turn out. When we got to the suburban district, we drove slowly till we found the street where Marion lived. Then Susan parked the car under a pepper tree and we got out and started to walk. All right. This is the 300 block. What's the number? Um, 340. But most of the houses don't seem to be numbered. Look, Susan, why don't we forget the whole thing and go on home, huh? Why take a chance on putting yourself through agony? Either you believe in Steve or you don't. I know you don't mean that, Joan, because I know that lately you've had some doubts about Steve yourself. All right. I give up. I want to spare you, but if you insist on walking into trouble... You'll walk beside me because you're my friend. Or because I'm a first-class dope. Oh, Susan, look. Mm. That fence with the talisman roses. Did you ever see anything so lovely? Never in my life. Oh, the size of them. I can't even cup one with both of my hands. Hello there. May I pick you a bunch of the roses? We have hundreds of them, and they last so beautifully in the house. Oh, no, no, thank you. They're much too lovely on the fence. What? Well, you're Joan Crawford, aren't you? Yes, I'm afraid I am. I'm going to be prouder than ever of my roses. That's a very sweet thing to say. Thank you. And thank you, too, for offering me your roses. Uh, Miss Crawford, I wonder if you'd mind... I mean, well, if I tell Billy you were here and he doesn't get to meet you, he'll disown me. Billy? My little boy. I'm Marion Thompson. Billy's around the back in the patio. Look, I just took a pitcher of lemonade out. It'd be such a wonderful party for him if you and your friend would join us. You're very kind, but I, I, I'm afraid we can't. You see, we're, we're really on our I'm way. I'm Susan Crane, Mrs. Thompson, and I'm going to accept for both of us. Oh, thank you, Miss Crane. The patio's just around the side of the house. I have the hose going on the shrubs back there. Excuse me just a minute. I'll run ahead and turn it off so you won't get soaked. Now, look, Susan. This is ridiculous. You've seen her. You've seen the house. That's enough. You're going back there and tell her we can't accept her invitation after all. That you just noticed the time or... Oh, well, say anything just so you can make it convincing. This whole miserable business has gone far enough. It's okay now. Mom turned the hose off. You won't get wet, honest, you won't. And the lemonade swell. I tasted it. Billy. Joan. Joan, that's Billy. I couldn't have moved in that moment if my life had depended on it. <laughs> 
I just stood there, staring at the handsomest child I'd ever seen. He was looking at me in that special small boy way that says, I bet we'll be pals, you and I. He shifted his position a little so the tip of his crutches wouldn't sink into the soft earth. And as he turned, for just a second the sun flashed on the brace that went around the shoe. That's when I forgot the reason Susan and I were there. Forgot that only seconds before I'd told her that we had to leave. All I knew was that Billy was inviting me to a party. And I wouldn't have missed it for anything in the world. Well, gosh, Mom, I only had six cookies. <laughs> and you make them so good, I bet it wouldn't hurt me if I ate a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With me, flattery will get you every place. Put a cup in your pocket. And then suppose you disappear, huh? It's way past your nap time. Yeah, I guess so. But I'd rather stay out here and talk. Look, Billy, I'll be back soon. And then we'll talk for hours. Cross your heart? Mm-hmm, cross my heart. Well, I'll be seeing you then. Gee, thanks for coming to the party. It was a wonderful party, Billy. Goodbye and have a good nap. Bye, Miss Crawford. Bye, Miss Crane. Goodbye, Billy. Take the spread off the bed before you lie down, son. Yes, Mom. He just hates to take his nap. But he wouldn't fuss because of you being here, Miss Crawford. I'm afraid my son's in love with you. And I'm afraid it's mutual. <laughs> He's a darling. Mm, he really is. I'm pretty proud of Billy. He's been a good soldier through some rough times. He's doing wonderfully. Marion, how, how long? Uh, three years. Mm. We were living in an apartment in the city when it happened. Of course, we couldn't stay there. Billy had to be where everything was on one floor with easy access to the outdoors. He looks like he lives in the sunshine now. Well, he just about does. Oh, the good Lord was certainly on my side to let me find this house. <laughs> Susan. Oh, Susan, don't. Please don't. Did, did I say something wrong? No, Marion, of course not. Tell her, Joan. Tell Marion who I am and why I'm here. You're sure that's what you want, Susan? That's what I want. Tell her. Tell her everything. Like a heartbroken child ashamed of herself, Susan hid her face as I began to talk to Marion. It wasn't easy, but I told her the truth about Susan and Steve, about the way Susan came to doubt him and to be afraid of a future with him. Then I hesitated, groping for words that wouldn't hurt Susan, but she wouldn't let me spare her. In a kind of monotone, she began to talk, quoting Steve, quoting the things he'd said about his life with Marion, things... Things she couldn't believe. She told Marion how she'd begged me to come with her that day and how I'd refused to go in. That isn't until I saw Billy. And then Susan said something that made me very proud of her. In my heart, I hoped coming out here would justify all the things he told me. I wanted to leave here feeling sorry for poor Steve. Instead, I'm so ashamed I could die. Oh, but you mustn't be. I think you were wise to come here, Susan. Only you've got to be fair to Steve. And it won't be easy for you to understand him. Unless you've ever known a person who was frightened by illness. Of course I have. I've known people like that, Susan. When someone they love is ill, they're... Well, they're so terrified that they, they seem to have no sympathy at all. Yes, that's exactly the way Steve was when Billy was taken sick. And then when the long convalescence began, Steve rebelled against it with everything in him. Against you and Billy, you mean? No, Susan, no. Not actually. It was against fate. 
But you can't fight what you can't see, so Steve turned all that hopeless fury on Billy and me. He made himself believe that I neglected him and that Billy didn't love him. But how can you make excuses for a man like Marianne's that? Marianne's not making excuses for Steve. She's trying to explain his actions, darling, so you'll understand. He needs understanding, Susan. You see, I, I don't love Steve anymore, but I, I feel terribly sorry for him. Well, there's just one more thing I want to know. How long has it been since Steve has visited Billy? Why, well, I'm not sure. Three months or four... Oh, but of course he's phoned. He's phoned? Susan, you're too worn out emotionally for any more of this. Come on, I'm going to take you home. All right. I'm ready to go home now. Let's break from Stars Over Hollywood. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Stars Over Hollywood. Susan asked me to drive back to town and she sat beside me pale and silent. For once I was actually glad I had to fight heavy traffic every foot of the way. Then, when we were only a couple of miles from my house, she spoke for the first time since we'd left Marion's. I've decided what to do, Joan. I'm going to write him. Just a short note that it's over. Well, I'm sure you'll do it kindly, Susan. After all, you and Steve were in love. Do you really believe that, Joan? I doubted Steve. He fought me for a selfish way of life. Do you really believe it was love? Well, since you ask me, no. No, I don't. I think you did what we all do at some time or other. You tried to convince yourself that something you wanted was real. But that doesn't make it any easier to get over. And the way to do it is to keep on the go. Keep busy at something. Don't sit home and remember. Go out and forget. And that's exactly what I'm going to do if I have to impose on every friend I've got. <laughs> like you, Joe. <laughs> I'm not going to drop you at your house now. I'm just going to... I'm going to go right in with you. I'm inviting myself to supper. Am I welcome? You know you're always welcome, but I, I think I should tell you I'm, I'm going to have a guest. At least the children are. He's coming to see them, not me. Oh, that would be Bob, of course. He's crazy about your four, isn't he? My four and every other child he knows. A man that crazy about kids would be a terrific person to know. Don't I want to come to the party and meet Bob Willett? Sorry, Susan, but I, I just can't let you joke about Bob. Maybe you don't realize it, but, but you hurt him terribly. I don't want him hurt again. Oh, Joan, I didn't mean to be funny or flip when I said I wanted to meet Bob. I meant... Well, I, I guess it's like that game you play with the twins. Let's pretend. I'm pretending I never knew Steve Thompson or Bob Willett either. And I don't know Bob, Joan. Not really. But I'd like to so very much. I think I can arrange it. In just a little while. And don't you dare cry or I'll change my mind. Here's my street. We're almost home. Oh, Joan, look at that sunset. 
We're driving right into it. The whole sky is crimson. <laughs> Red sky at night. Sailor's delight. Remember how your father always used to say that to us, Susan? Oh, yes, of course. I haven't thought about it in years. Red sky at night. Sailor's delight. <laughs> he told us it was a promise, Susan. Remember? A promise for a beautiful day tomorrow and smooth sailing ahead. And so the curtain comes down on the final act of this week's Stars Over Hollywood show as presented by Carnation Evaporated Milk and starring Joan Crawford. In just a moment, we'll have news about next week's show. Meantime, how about a curtain call, Miss Crawford? Thank you, Art. I'd imagine, Miss Crawford, that such highly emotional roles as you're accustomed to playing on the screen can be quite exhausting. <laughs> yes, that's true, Art. And you can't guess how much I appreciate a few moments of relaxation afterwards. And Joan Crawford, for your wonderful performance today, we want you to have this bouquet of red and white carnations, just like those pictured on every can of carnation evaporated milk. The flowers are beautiful, and you've been a grand host. Goodbye, Art, and thank you again. Goodbye, Miss Crawford. Today's story was written for Stars Over Hollywood by Helen Morgan. Supporting Miss Crawford were Lorene Tuttle, Anthony Barrett, Lillian Bayef, Anne Whitfield, and Rye Billsbury. Music by Rex Corey. Today's program was produced and transcribed by Carl Harwood. And now for the Carnation Company and Stars Over Hollywood, this is Art Ballinger suggesting that you be sure to listen next Saturday for McDonald Carey in Filler to Adventure. Stay tuned now for Grand Central Station, which follows immediately over most of these stations. That stars over Hollywood with I Knew This Woman starring Joan Crawford. It's sponsored by Carnation, is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. In just a minute, we'll tune into the Jack Benny program, but I want to remind you to subscribe to Remind Magazine, the world's greatest nostalgia magazine. Is called Remind Magazine. It's our main sponsor here on Hollywood 360. To learn more about them, just go to RemindMagazine.com. It's a big, full-color magazine, about 75 pages each month, and they talk about everything you like. Radio, TV, movies, Hollywood stars. It's all about your favorite kind of thing. Like our radio show here, Nostalgia. Well, it's all about Remind. And I uh, write an article each month for Remind Magazine, plus our schedule, so you'll know exactly what we're playing here on Hollywood 360, is listed in every issue of the magazine. Now, as I said, the best way to learn about Remind Magazine is go to their website, but you can pick up a copy at any newsstand at Barnes & Noble or Walmart stores. Just pick one up. You'll love it. Thumb through it. I know you'll want to subscribe. And when you do subscribe at their website, you save about 60% off the newsstand price. So check out Remind Magazine at RemindMagazine.com. All right, it's time now for Jack Benny, along with Mary Livingston and all his gang. They stroll down the Easter parade in this episode from April 10th, 1955, part one now of the Jack Benny program. The Jack Benny Program. The program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, the Sportsman Quartet, and yours truly, Don. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Easter Sunday, and in cities all over the country, people are parading. Right now, in Beverly Hills, Jack is getting ready for his stroll down Wilshire Boulevard, as is his custom every Easter. At the moment, he's taking a shower, and Rochester is laying out his clothes. Hmm. 
Mr. Barry's been in that shower a long time. But he always stays in there pretty long. He'd get through sooner if he'd sing in the shower like everybody else instead of playing his violin. (laughs) Well, it was pretty clever the way he tied that brush on the end of his violin bow. I'll bet hybrids can't play Love and Bloom and scrub his back at the same time. Oh, Rochester. Rochester. Yes, boss? I'm through with my shower. Hand me my towel. Your towel? All right, the Statlers. (laughs) Don't be so technical when I'm freezing. Here you are. And here's your shorts. Thanks. See, that shower was invigorating. You know, Rochester, since I've been dieting, I feel like a new man. I look so much trimmer, don't I? You look about the same to me, boss. Oh, don't be silly. I bet I lost a lot of weight. I'll get on the scale and show you. Let's see, here's the card. Let me see what it says. You would be a financial success if you weren't such a spendthrift. Calm down! <laughs> and here, uh, here's my weight. Hmm, 102 pounds. <laughs> Rochester, this scale is way off. I could have told you that when you read your fortune. <laughs> Never mind, let's check this scale. Rochester, you get on, see how much you weigh. Will you? Okay, let's see if I got a penny. Yeah, here's one. Well, my weight is correct. What does the card say on the other side? Let's see. Tell the previous spendthrift he put in a slug. (laughs) Well, it's my scale. I can do what I want. Now, Rochester, did you lay out my clothes? Yes, sir. Your blue suit is on the bed. My blue suit? No, I wore that in the Easter parade last year. I better wear something else. Answer the door, Rochester. I'll pick out a suit. Yes, sir. Rochester always tries to make me look so conservative. This is the Easter parade. I should wear something springy. Let's see. What could I... I know. I'll wear my white suit. I bet it's as good as the year I put it away. Boss, Miss Livingston is here. Oh, yeah, she's walking in the Easter parade with me. Tell her I'll be right out. Okay. What are you putting on that white suit for? I'm going to wear it in the parade. Boss, I think the blue one would look a lot... Rochester, I'm going to wear the white suit, and that settles it. Okay, okay. Is he ready, Rochester? He will be in a few minutes. Say, Miss Livingston, that's a beautiful dress you've got on. Oh, thank you, Rochester. Hello, Mary. Happy Easter. Uh, Happy... Jack, you're not going to wear that white suit. Why not? What's wrong with it? I haven't seen one like that since Admiral Byrd came back from the South Pole. (laughs) What are you talking about? Well, if you're going to wear it, at least wipe that tomato soup satin off the lapel. That tomato soup what? (laughs) I've heard everything. Wipe that tomato soup satin? <laughs> tomato soup stain off the lapel. 
Well, what for? From a distance, it'll look like a red carnation. <laughs> now, come on, Mary, let's go. See you later, Rochester. Goodbye, boss. Goodbye, Miss Livingston. Bye, Rochester. By the way, aren't you going out walking in the Easter Parade? Yeah, but first I gotta make a call to a girl I have a blind date with. I gotta tell her about a change in plans. Change in plans? Yeah, I told her to be on the corner of 6th and Central and look for a man wearing a white suit. <laughs> oh, so that's why... Well, wear our blue one. It's your turn to be conservative. Come on, Mary, let's go. There are a lot of people out walking on Wilshire Boulevard. Yeah. You know, this is a wonderful time of the year. I know there's something in the air, a spirit of awakening, of, of romance. Makes me feel so young. And you know what they say, Mary? In the spring, a young man's fancy turns to love. <laughs> Give me your hand, Jack. Gee, do you feel romantic, too? No, we're coming to a curb, and I don't want you to fall on your face. <laughs> Who's coming this way? Isn't that one of the boys in your Beavers Club? Oh, yes. Oh, it's little Joey Hudson. Well, hello, Joey. Hello, Miss Livingston. Hello, Joey. Hello, Mr. Benny. Hey, dig that crazy carnation. <laughs> See, I told you, Mary. Say, that's a mighty cute rabbit you have there. Yes, it's my Easter bunny. I'm taking him over to Mr. Benny's house to feed him. To my house to feed him? Why? My father says you've got more lettuce than anyone in Beverly Hills. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> goodbye, Joey. Goodbye, Miss Livingston. Goodbye, Mr. Bay. Goodbye, goodbye. You know, Mary, strolling down the boulevard today reminds me of that picture we saw a few years ago with Judy Garland and Fred Astaire. Oh, you mean Easter Parade? Yeah, that's the one. Remember at the start of the picture when Fred was walking along Fifth Avenue singing that song and the people answered him? Say, Mary, isn't that Bob Crosby and his wife? Where? Walking on the other side of the street. Oh, yeah. Well, hurry up. Let's cross the street and join them. But, Jack, it's the Easter parade and maybe they'd rather walk alone. Oh, don't be silly, Mary. Bob would be insulted if he thought we saw him and didn't say hello. Say, June, isn't that Mary Livingston across the street there? Well, yes. It does look like Mary, but I wonder who that is with her. Well, I don't know, but from here he looks like Admiral Byrd. <laughs> Say, whoever he is, he's trying to attract our attention. He's waving his hand. Now he's waving his hat. Now he's waving his hair. It's Jack. <laughs> I'm amazed that he's this far down on Wilshire. He usually never gets past the California bank. <laughs> Gee, Bob, I hope he doesn't join us. Well, why? Well, I like Jack. But look at the way he's dressed. Well, just keep walking straight ahead and we'll pretend that we haven't even seen him. Oh, Bob! Bob! Keep walking, honey. There are a lot of Bobs. <laughs> Oh, Bob, Bob Crosby. Keep walking, honey. There's another Bob Crosby in Encino. <laughs> oh, Bing's brother. He's got me. <laughs> well, hello, kids. Why, Jack Benny of all people. Gee, what a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Hello, Mary. Hello, June. Say, that's a beautiful outfit you've got on. That mink stole his juxtaposition. Where is it? 
It sure is. Is it new? Oh, no. Bob brought it for me when he was with Campbell's Soup. <laughs> with Campbell's Soup? You know, the outfit that made your carnation. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, we better be running along now. Yes, Bob. But aren't you going to walk with us? Oh, gee, we'd love to, Jack, but the kids are home all alone. We just got to get back to them. See you later. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy, Happy Easter. Easter. That was nice running into Bob in June. Huh? Yes, it was. Gee, what perfect weather. Spring, the skies are clear, <laughs> the flowers are blooming, the sun is shining. Hey, look who's here, my violin teacher. Bonjour, Monsieur Benit. Professor LeBlanc, this is the third year in a row we've met in the Easter Parade. You, I meet. Heifetz is always on the other side of the street. <laughs> What's the difference? We're both violinists. <laughs> oh, by the way, Professor, this is Miss Livingston. She was at the house the last time you gave me a lesson. Remember? How could I forget? She applied the tourniquet to my wrist. Yes, that was such an unfortunate accident. Unfortunate, yes. Accident, no. Well, I must go now. All right, Professor. Don't forget my lesson next Thursday and have a nice Easter. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye. Mary, I can't understand why he hates to give me violin lessons. I can't understand it either. You play beautifully. Well, I... Huh? Mary, that was sweet. What made you say that? Oh, I don't know. Just an impulse. Yesterday, I kicked a cop in the pants. <laughs> Sometimes you have to let yourself go, you know. Anyway, Mary, we're certainly running into a lot of people we know, aren't we? Yeah. <clears throat> Yum, bum, bum, ba da 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 dum. Happy Easter. Happy Easter! You're so cute in that old white suit. Happy Easter. Hey, Happy right. Easter! My, oh, me, there's so much to see as you stroll the avenue. And you greet all the friends you meet. Happy Easter to you. Well, Don, Don Wilson. Oh, hello, Jack. Hello, Mary. Say, Don, would you like to walk down Wilshire Boulevard with us? Oh, I'd love to, Mary, but I'm on the other side of the street. <laughs> oh, yes. Lift your stomach, Don. Here comes a bus. <laughs> See you later. Come on, Mary. Yum, bum, 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 bum. Say, Mary, have you got a cigarette? Oh, sure, Jack. I have some right here. Oh, gee, I forgot to put them in my purse. Well, here's the drugstore. I'll step in and get some. Okay. Oh, clerk. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Ways of weight, shaving cream, Queenex. No, no. I'd like to buy some... Magazines, uh, aspirin, sunglasses, wife savers. No, no, no. All I want uh, is... Seltzer, Tootsie Rolls, whiting paper. <laughs> I can't go into one store... Hold it, mister, hold it. As long as you're guessing and playing games, I'll give you a hint as to what I want. Now, what do you do that relaxes you and gives you pleasure? I take off my girdle. What do you do? 
That's the first portion of the Jack Benny Easter Show. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time it's the conclusion to the Jack Benny Easter program from 1955. Then Bill Johnstone stars in an Easter episode of The Shadow. You won't want to miss that from 1940. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.